This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Hi, everybody. The Browns have a coach. I feel like we've been here before, and we have. This is Civilized Barking. I'm Zach Jackson. I'm joined by Jason Lloyd. We are about exactly 24 hours past the announcement of Kevin Stefanski being the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, So we got a lot to cover. We're expecting a press conference on Tuesday. At least as of 10 minutes ago, there had been no official confirmation on that at the time. Uh, We know Kevin Stefanski is in Cleveland getting things finalized um, with the Browns and presumably starting on his staff. We know GM search uh, will heat up if it's even a real search. So, Jason, you wrote a column yesterday. We've all kind of exhaled. We've all kind of beat our heads against the table. And, and I'm willing to do that again here over the next 20 minutes to an extent. But um, <laughs> let's <laughs> we, we got a lot to cover. Let's start with Kevin Stefanski himself. Uh, your reaction, uh, your surprise or lack thereof level, and um, you know where, where you think he goes here as he takes over as the new coach. A little surprise. Not quite as much surprise as I think everyone else in Cleveland. Uh, I don't recall the last time the Browns announced a head coach hire and had this type of vitriolic reaction to it. I was a little bit taken aback by it. A lot of people, obviously, by the end here, had come around to wanting Josh McDaniels. I wanted Josh McDaniels. He would have been my number one. I understand the Stefanski move. I understand why they did it. Uh, I have no idea if it's going to work or not, but I'm willing to give it a chance because you have to give it a shot. Uh, I had a lot of reservations about Freddie, but was willing to give it a try and knew after about three games, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. And uh, hopefully, you know, the same doesn't hold true with Kevin. Uh, but, hey, you know, they finally get the alignment they've talked about. Yeah. They're finally listening to Paul DiBodesta. He's been around for four years, and they've, they've ignored him for four years. They're finally taking uh, his suggestions uh, seriously, I guess. And we'll see where it goes. Well, I don't know if they ignored him for four years. They traded out on an awful lot of quarterbacks early on. They right. maybe ignored yeah. him last year and a half. <laughs> um, I'll listen you know, to that. And, and- <laughs> well, and that's interesting because, you know, anyone who's, th- who's listening to him in terms of evaluating football talent, I think is, is crazy. You know, it's, I've never viewed him as, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. You were around this a lot closer than I was, but to have him evaluating football prospects, I think is nuts to have him inputting his, uh, his intelligence and his analytical spin on certain situations and processes and all that, I think is fine. But to have him evaluate an NFL talent, I think is silly. Yeah, and, and I, I'm I'm totally with you on you know the small extent to which we know what he does. There is nothing wrong with having smart people, right? And there's nothing wrong with him making sure that the Browns try to have the most information for any decision they make. I think because there's this cloud of mystery to him, Jason, because there's this cloud of this label that he's a baseball guy, that he lives on the other side of the country. Right, the, yeah. the old administration loved him and valued him, and then Dorsey came in and kind of dismissed him. I think people point to some of his last public comments, which was about Carson Wentz. You know, yeah, um, yeah. And, and Carson Wentz has had injury issues, but Carson Wentz is a top twenty quarterback. Right? Absolutely. This is a league where there's uh, you can argue all day the number of quarterbacks that are good enough to get you there, um, but Carson Wentz is within that number, right? And and so absolutely, especially yeah. as it was you look a whiff. At, yeah, yeah. These, these decades of Brown's misery have not coincidentally uh, matched this ongoing search for a quarterback, 
which, you know, we might be a year away from again. I, I don't know. Um, but, but I want to start with Kevin Stefanski and I want to say this, um, uh, I don't care analytics or no analytics, good looking or not good looking, been a head coach before or not a head coach before. As long as in the discussion was, Kevin, how are you going to fix Baker Mayfield? How are you going to make Baker Mayfield a more efficient football player? How are you going to maximize Baker's talents and those around him? As long as that's a big part of the discussion, then that's fine. Uh, The guy has been in the NFL for a long time. He's been in multiple administrations, working for multiple coaches, even though it was with one team. Uh, Mike Zimmer's a little rough around the edges, and he's a defensive guy, but he's a hell of a football coach. And I'm sure Kevin Stefanski uh, has learned you know, from that. Uh, we know the Ivy League educated. We know the analytics driven. This match always made sense. We always saw it coming. Um, you know, It was two, ex- two weeks exactly. The Andrew Barry thing, as we've written, you know, has been lingering. Um, so, so there's no level of surprise for me in this. Um, there is a little, little bit of level of mystery. Obviously, the Browns don't play the Vikings very often. Um, Kevin Stefanski's an, an East Coast guy who, you know, has worked in Minnesota for going on 15 years. I don't know a lot about him. I don't know a lot of people that know him. And I think that's some of the fans' angst. And I, and I would say this, Jason, uh, as we're mostly talking to, to you guys, the fans who are listening here. Um, Kevin Stefanski deserves the benefit of the doubt. I think the big thing right now in this first 24-hour reaction, which I agree with you from mostly what I've seen has been negative, is the Browns don't deserve the benefit of the doubt, and that's kind of 100%. the rub on this deal. Yeah, so it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt when the guy's throwing the darts and never hit the board. Uh, but here we are again, you know, and that's why I wrote, just because they've screwed it up for 20 years doesn't automatically mean they've screwed this one up. Are the percentages high that they have? Yes. Going off history? Yes. But yes. You have you, you have to give him you have to give him the opportunity to fail before you label him as a failure. And I'm I'm curious to see what they how, how this is put together. We've heard so much in the last 24 hours about, you know, things that uh Jimmy Haslam put on on him, um, you know, requirements that he's gonna have to meet and everything else. We can get into all that. But first of all, what struck me, and you've been around the NFL a lot longer than I have, the fact that he's never left Minnesota seems odd to me because these guys are always moving every couple of years. Is that good or bad that he spent his entire career in Minnesota up to this point? Well, um, you know, I think if you look at it for the early part of his career, you say good because they had coaching changes there and they kept him on. And so this is an Mm -hmm. organization. uh, And I believe they've had multiple coaches now under this GM. So he's, he's been recommended by, by those in the organization to stay. He's been a riser. He started as a coach's assistant. Then he was an assistant position coach, and then he coached various position groups uh, under, under various administrations. So I think in that regard, it's good. I think if you want to look at the concern, not just about him, given what just happened here, but given the Browns, I mean, formal is – He's been in the NFL for 15 years, and he's had two formal head coaching interviews, and they're both with the Cleveland Browns over the last two years, right? Now, he, w- he would have interviewed with the Panthers last week had they not hired Matt Rule early in the week. But so, so some people have that, you know, that is, as, a, as a red flag there. And some, I'll just say this because th- this was a point of Twitter contention yesterday. Kevin Stefanski and Freddie Kitchens both have relative inexperience calling the plays. Freddie had done it for eight games before uh, he was hired. 
Stefanski did it for 16 regular season games, two playoff games. We just saw one that didn't go well in three games last year. Other than that, they are completely different guys. This is an Ivy League guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is analytically driven. Um, th- this is organization. And this is probably a little bit vanilla slash conservative, at least what we've seen on the tape, specifically compared to Freddie, who as interim offensive coordinator rolled it all out on the table and, you know, just kept his dice were hot. Right. And then is his year as head coach, it was a complete cluster. You know what? And that's why we're here with Kevin Stefanski right now. Freddie went for it on fourth down because the hell with it. We're going to yes. go for it on fourth down all the time. <laughs> it wasn't really analytically backed. It wasn't, this is what we want to do in fourth and two when we're in this part of the field. It was the hell with it. I'm aggressive. We're going to score twice in a minute and a half. And we're going to go for it on fourth down. <laughs> yes. So it does feel like there is a little bit more thought process behind how it will be going forward than how it was last year. Yes. Okay. So um, in regards to Josh McDaniels and what's been out there, um, of course, Josh is mad that he didn't get the job. And specifically, um, I get it in that it's clear the Browns wanted Stefanski all along. So Josh has to feel like, why even interview me? Why go through the paces? You know, and, and to the fans who see another two-week coaching search, 15 interviews in two years, like, why why go through that? Why did you have us stake, staking out Josh McDaniels, right, <laughs> on on Friday to hire Kevin Stefanski two days later after his team gets flat out flattened. Now I wanted to make that point because every coach in this league guys has a bad game, calls a bad play, has a bad day, has a team get overwhelmed. Every coach in this league has been fired. Kevin Stefanski is one of the few that hasn't yet. That'll happen in two years. We all know that. But anyway, for right now, um, some of this stuff that's coming out about Josh McDaniels uh, wanting this, like I get where it's coming from. and, And I totally think it's a valid question for why even interview him. Um, but from that stuff that's come out, Jason, it's very clear. Analytics are the boss in Cleveland. Paul D. Podesta has the big boss's ear. Whether he's the boss or not, I don't know. But they wanted this, and now the mystery is, you know, does it work? Are they really smarter than everybody? And finally, getting this desired alignment, and that's the word Jimmy threw out a million times, right, in that press conference two weeks ago, finally does alignment start to matter, and finally can this team win with this group? You know, Zach, I would love to hear Paul DiBodesta talk about in, in some truth serum here, not some press conference jibber-jabber, for, from truth serum. What is it about Kevin Stefanski that he loves so much? Because there is something that you said that really just shook me to the core that the only team that's interviewed him are the Cleveland Browns, the team that can never pick a head coach properly. Yeah. And yet they're the only ones and, and, you know, Carolina, whatever, obviously they didn't like him enough. They like Ron Rivera a whole lot more to not even wait to interview him. What is it about this guy that fits their alignment? Why him that when nobody else in the NFL is looking at him, they Paul DiBodesta twice now has targeted him and said, that's my guy. That's kind of terrifying to me. Yeah. No, you're right. That's the one question, right? Um, you know, so, so many will agree with you that it's terrifying. Um, those in the deep Podesta analytics corner will not. And, and again, time will tell on all that because one thing we've all learned through these coaching searches is that none of us know shit, right? Right. <laughs> and probably, unfortunately, that includes the Haslam's, but we don't know. Look at the party over Freddie last year. Yes. Like, case in point. Yeah, we've all been excited before. We've all said we've all connected the dots before and said, okay, this this is this can work. This is this this and this are different. Yeah, no, that that is kind of the big um, 
looming question. And then specifically, when you have a guy that's only worked in one organization, that's only been a coordinator for a short time, how does he build that staff? How do you go about what's so important for head coaches, which many people in the league have reinforced to me, is that you have guys you know and guys you trust. You're not out there. But balance, balancing that with what the Browns have gotten themselves in trouble with before, which is the buddy system. Right, Freddie Heyer and his friends, some of whom aren't qualified. Odell and Jarvis getting their buddy is their position coach. You know, so so these are these are big questions. And then, you know, as, as we mentioned at the top, Andrew Barry has always been at the top of the list, which was the biggest clue all along that this was going to Stefanski. Um, I do believe he'll take the job, but there are a couple reasons why it's not a guarantee. One of them is that Andrew Barry is 32 years old and very well regarded and will have his pick of the jobs in the coming years. And there's just not a real good track record of GMs getting second chances in this league uh, if they fail. It's, it's nothing like coaches. It's the complete opposite. And right now to come into the Browns is, is taking a leap of faith, even though, you know, and he would know that as well as anyone. He just left the organization 11 months ago. And then the second one, the second holdup with that is, are you coming and do you have all the power? Or does Paul De Podesta have too much, right? Or is the GM truly going to call the shots? And that, to me, is a, is a valid question that we just don't have an answer for right now. And I, I thought you used a great word in saying vitriol online. Like, that is kind of what, to me, is stemming some of this angry reaction. Is people are so tired not only of the Browns losing, but of not knowing the answer and convincing themselves that they just can't trust the Haslam's or anyone associated with them until we see differently. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about everything you're saying and I'm thinking about alignment. I'm thinking about GM candidates. And the only thing I keep going back to is Stefanski and God, I hope he doesn't call the place. Like, can we all agree on that, that they've got to bring in an offensive coordinator? Well, I got news for you. (laughs) I don't have news for you, but I have a strong feeling that he's calling the plays and that that was a oh big my God, part. Kevin. I, I, I do. I could be wrong. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not putting that in ink or putting down a dollar on that, but I believe when we get him at the press conference, his answer will be, I'm going to call my own place. And can't, I mean, if you look down the list of guys who've had success as head coaches and play callers, it's not many. And it's guys who've been around and have been doing it a long time. Sean Payton, you know, guys who know what they're doing and have been doing this a really long time, Andy Reid. That that more than anything, to me, like if they like this guy because of his analytical mind and they're going to sit in on meetings with him on Friday and they're going to go over, okay, on fourth and two when we're at the 38, we're going to go for it. And they're going to have a guy on headset to talk to him about it. I'm fine with all that. That's fine. But he's got so much else to do to also have him be the play caller, boy, we saw this year what a disaster it was. And I was on board with Freddie's the play caller all along. I kept saying, you know, if you take the play calling away from him, you might as well fire him right then and there because there's nothing else he knows how to do. You didn't bring him in for anything else. With Kevin Stefanski, you are bringing him in for all that everything else. So to lump play calling on top of it, I that, more than anything we've said today, that to me is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly a concern. And again, um, you know, I, I probably have a cynical outlook. I've covered the Browns for a long darn time. <laughs> um, I, I do think there's reason for optimism in the alignment. I do think there's reason for optimism in the guy you've given power has wanted this guy. And, you know, I, I, I think 
Obviously, we said this about Freddie last year, but for all the guys that have come in, a lot of them have, have taken cupboards that are extremely bare, and this is not the case here. And with just right. a few minor tweaks and a little bit of damn organization, Jason, right, like this Browns team could, could win a lot more games. Now, can they win 9-10 um, and be in the playoffs? I don't know. What will the offense ultimately look like? You know, I don't know. It, it, it Again, it comes down to establishing that culture, being a more disciplined, more prepared, smarter team, and then the quarterback playing a better, smarter, more efficient brand of football, um, hopefully not flinging it 40 times a game. You know, but we don't know how any of this is going to look in September. But it, like I said, even the most optimistic person has to understand some of the angst here. Uh, but even the most cynical person has to say, you know, clean up a couple things and maybe a lot of things are suddenly different. Yeah, I, I understand why the Browns didn't want to blow it all up again, even though they sort of are blowing it up again with a new GM and a new head coach. But, you know, in terms of sweeping personnel changes, it, it doesn't seem as if they're that far away personnel-wise. Uh, so I, I get that sentiment of, hey, I, we think that we're close. Um, it, you know, it, I kind of look at it like Josh McDaniels could have come in here, set it up his way, done it his way, and had great success. Kevin Stefanski could do it this way and have success. There's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different roads to take to get to the end. And not one of them is necessarily better than the other one. Uh, obviously this is the road the Browns have chosen. And I'm, I'm, you know, obviously they went this route before with not a lot of talent with Sashi, where they blew the whole thing up, tore it apart, traded off all their talent for picks. And, you know, we know the whole story aside from the talent level, what is the difference between the analytical approach of Sashi and Hugh and the Atlantic in the analytical approach of now, is it the alignment and the head coaches on board? What's the big difference? Well, that's you? another question that's that's hard to answer. Um, right now, on the surface and, and internally trying to sell it, you'd say, yes, the head coach is on board and these guys are going to believe and we're going to be able to align things from free agency to the draft all the way to Sundays in the fall with a certain way that we're going to operate. And, and then obviously that helps you. As, as you grow together because we've seen Browns teams be so disjointed and you're starting over every year with scheme and with players and with name. but And then that's why you, you can't be sold on it, right, until you see it because every year they are starting over. And, well, you know, how do you how do you meld this? Does, does this really work? So, yeah, um, you know, I think analytics gets spun. The, the word itself gets spun a lot of different ways. Um, the people that love it are able to blast it out there and say the dumb people, the dumb teams are not maximizing it. The people that hate it, you know, um, really, I think kind of get closed minded, ignorant about it in that, you know, teams have been using data for a a long, long time. Maybe it just hasn't been called analytics, right. Or or they're not understanding what, what you're trying to do in terms of programming your coaches to go forward on fourth down in advantageous situations, you know, to minimize certain things at certain times of the game. And we know Freddie was like the worst game manager in the history of football. Every Sunday was a damn adventure, right? But there is that mystery to it. And and one thing that concerns the heck out of me, Jason, is basically that's the very question that was presented to Jimmy Haslam at his presser two weeks ago. Like, you know, what is the use of analytics? And in his answer, he basically told you how they do inventory at Pilot Flying J. And I'm sitting there like pounding my head, like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't make anyone feel better, Jimmy. Right, right, right. 
Well, the one thing that I'll say, uh, I would really encourage, since this is our athletic podcast, I would really encourage uh, subscribers to go back and find Shio Kapadia's story he wrote in the, in the fall on the Ravens and the Ravens system and the way they go about doing this. You know, I've said all along, the Ravens and Steelers, part of the Browns' problem is they're in the same division with two of the best-run franchises in football, in the Steelers and Ravens. And trying to be more like the Ravens, to me, is not a bad thing. And a lot of what, you know, what we are kind of getting the feeling of what the Browns are trying to do, the Ravens are already doing it. And I just thought Shield did a nice job of, of kind of revealing some of that. And I tweeted out yesterday, but to anyone who hasn't read it yet, I'd really encourage you to go find the story uh, that Shield wrote in September. And it talks about the Ravens having these meetings with the analytics staff on Fridays and going over down and distance scenarios and what to do. And, and she'll even put it into a real life game situation against the chiefs where John ran on the field and called timeout. And, you know, in the, in the booth, they were saying, okay, we talked about this. This is one of those instances where we want to go for it. And they went for it and they got it and converted it. So uh, it's not, I, I, I know to football lifers, some of this may sound gimmicky or hokey pokey or like the nerds are taking over the game. I do think that there is a lot of value to it. When it's used properly, I don't think the Browns used it properly the first time, uh, maybe simply because they just had a lack of talent and they didn't have that alignment that we're talking about because Hugh Jackson wasn't on board with it, whatever the case. I do think this can work. I'm not saying it will. I think it can. Um, we'll see. Like I said at the Open, I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm willing to, and, and by a chance, we have to give it more than a year. Uh, you know, minimum three years, absolute minimum to me, Kevin Stefanski's here for three years and we can't keep doing this year in and year out nonsense. Uh, but I'm, I'm willing to try. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by some of it. I'm willing to see, I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance to see if it works. Yeah. So one of the things that's, that's come out here in the last 24 hours, um, you know, specifically in the Canton repository story and in the tweets that Dustin and a couple of others made that have circulated is that one of the things the Browns, construed to Josh McDaniels is that the Browns think they're a lot closer than most people do. They think they're the right head coach away from being there. And I wanted to get to this anyway, and you using the Ravens and Steelers as the example, um, you know, reminded me. So, so I'm grateful for that, but you know, obviously we know now, and he would have never said this had he taken the job is that Josh's reaction to that was, uh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> right. And yeah. if you and I sit here, uh, we're not so sure either, right? Not to speak for you, but I mean, you were at almost all the games too, right? So, um, right. <laughs> you know, this is a team that needs two offensive tackles, that needs its quarterback to play tremendously better, that has two super gifted, super head case wide receivers that carry huge salary cap numbers. It's a team that might not have any safeties. We don't, we don't know if they have any linebackers, right? Like we don't know a lot of these things here. And, and it's a team that hasn't won. Um, so, that to me is is kind of alarming, but we'll see. And, 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 you know, I can roll my eyes at the alignment. I can roll my eyes at the analytics. But I can tell you this, that the Patriots, Nick Casario, he's the GM, whatever his official title is. You know, he works with the coaching staff on game days. He's involved. It doesn't have to be two split things, right? So alignment does matter. And a dedication to what it is that you believe in. And if that's someone that sits with the coaches and has fourth down charts – and starts instilling from May that this is how we're going to handle this situation and you stick with it, that's something that the Browns have never done is stuck with anything. And so yeah. 
all the cynics, and I'm raising my hand here alone in my kitchen, right? Until you see Jimmy Haslam stick with something, it's fine and dandy to say you expect the same old crap, right? Because we've seen the same old crap. And I started by saying we'll see who they hire in two years. But maybe, just maybe, this magical word of alignment can finally lead to something different. You know, the thing that we we won't get the answer to this week, uh, but I really wonder, what did Paul D. Podesta think about Baker coming out of that draft? And what does Kevin Stefanski think about Baker? And who would, if if he had a do-over, who would D. Podesta have taken? And, and by, I by no means have given up on Baker. I think Baker could be a really good NFL quarterback still. Uh, but I just wonder now, that they have gone down this road if the quarterback fits that system. Yeah, and, and now part of that alignment in anything is you have to fit your system to your players, right? And, yeah. And this is a this is Again, a talented group that's that you know it's going to take some fitting. It's going to take some things. I, I don't know that Jarvis and Odell are both going to be here. I I don't think anybody knows. I don't think Paul DePodesta and Andrew Barry, if he's taking the job, know that right now, right? Um, to answer your one question. And this is speaking for Kevin's defense. We would never get the truthful answer. But if he didn't believe in Baker, he wouldn't have taken this job. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, again, it's kind of alarming. No one else is interviewing him. So, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a head coaching candidate and you have your pick of three or four different spots, and then I agree, like, you got to love the quarterback or the situation you're walking into, or you got to know that they're getting the quarterback, something like that. But yeah, when no so one else we know is how this, this guy, goes. And this is the only job available to him. Right. Well, oh, well from the outside, we know how this goes, Jason. Like, it's a little more negative than usual right now. But free agency, they'll sign a guy. They'll unveil the new uniforms, and fans will be back on board. Right. Yeah. Some, some fans will hate all the trade downs that are coming in April. Some will love them. Right. Some will be back on board. And then by the time July and August roll around, a lot of people will be back on board. Hopefully, you'll all be subscribing for the training camp logs. Right. And then. Then September will roll around, and then we'll see what happens. The muni lot will be packed, and there'll be lines out to in the middle of the night again, and then, and then we'll see. Hey, not not to give away my future column ideas here on this pod, but maybe a more muted approach will do all better. Maybe the expectations being a lot lower than they were last year will be good for all involved. And I mean that I really do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but at the same time, by the time next season rolls around, I think people are going to be talking playoffs again. Well, sure. But I think if you guys are stop Twitter fighting for five seconds and watch the playoffs, you see that this team's still pretty far away. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. I don't care if Kevin Stefanski's the coach or I'm the coach or whoever's the coach. This is a huge year for Baker Mayfield. And, and in many, many ways, and including – how he does this year is going to determine the future for a lot of other guys here. Um, you know, maybe this true. core that's going to be here is only eight, nine, 10, 11 players deep. And I think that will certainly, some of that will to see what this group decides about the likes of Joe Schobert and Demarius Randall over the next six, eight weeks. Right. But who's really going to be in this core going forward if, and when they are ready to win. And did you hit the right guy in Baker? Does he get back on track and can you be a playoff team or, or certainly knocking on the door of that in the next three, four years? I don't know. Um, so many times we've done this and the Browns had nowhere to go, but up, this is a little different because they, they have some pieces in place. They're in third place and they've only done that a handful of times, frankly, over yeah. the last two decades, the Bengals are getting Joe Burrow. The Ravens aren't going anywhere for a long time. And the Steelers have been good our entire lives. So let's see.
boy. I, yeah, I, I guess that's a good spot to leave it for now, uh, at least to me, because. Yeah. I yeah, we don't know. Wait and see. Right. Wait no, as I was as I was driving this morning, Jason, and, and thinking, you know, what would we talk about? How, how would we structure this? I, I thought it was important to say Stefanski deserves a chance. This group deserves a chance. 100%. I mean, what choice do you have if you want to root for the Browns? Jimmy Haslam has exactly. chosen to give the keys to Paul De Podesta, right? The, the facts are that Baker Mayfield's going to be here, that Nick Chubb's going to be here. By all rights, Miles Garrett's going to be back, right? We know who's on the schedule next year. There's kind of an is-what-it-is element, and we'll see. But I completely understand the cynicism because in no way, shape, or form do the Browns deserve the benefit of and the doubt from anyone on the outside. Yeah, and they're not going to get it, obviously, until they prove overwhelmingly that they got this right. That's right. All right, so here we go, guys. So you'll hopefully you'll be listening to this Monday afternoon, Monday evening, Tuesday morning. We're expecting a press conference on Tuesday when that happens. The Athletic will have it covered. Uh, GM interviews set up for this week. Again, expected to be Andrew Barry, but not 100% sure that he's going to want this job. We'll see how that all that shakes out. Next week, I will be at the Senior Bowl where I would ex- – I don't know that the new head coach will be there. Sometimes they don't go um, because they're building their staff. Sometimes they do go and build their staffs there. Um, we'll see how all of that goes. But uh, the Browns world keeps turning. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you reading. Uh, I would think maybe another podcast later in the week after the presser, after we digest some of this stuff and, and go over things like the play calling and the GM hire. But these are the Browns, so you never know. We thank you for sticking with us. For Jason, I'm Zach. We'll talk to you next time on Civilized Barking.